Hello there. This is Let's Get For Real, a podcast all about cats and dogs and what they mean to us. I'm Susan Michaels, the creator of the two biggest events in the world celebrating pets and pop culture, CatCon and Cat Art Show. Today, we're going team dog for the show. Once again, I know we've been doing a lot of dogs, but it's another one. My guest for this podcast is French photographer Sophie Gamond, who is based out of New York City, more importantly, Brooklyn. Sophie is world-renowned for her amazing doggy portraits. She started it out with a collection known as the Wet Dog Series and subsequently created another series called Pitbull Flower Power. In this photographic exploration, Sophie takes on a group of animals that are often misunderstood. And by the simple act of adding a floral crown, which she makes herself, she changes the viewer's perception about these dogs. Gone is the preconceived notion of the beastly villain, maybe an animal that you might actually cross the street to avoid. And instead, what you're presented with is this vision, this vision of canine love and adoration. Their faces really just run the gamut of emotion. There is sadness, there's whimsy, and frankly, a lot of joy that comes out of these beautiful, beautiful portraits that she has created. Through these photographs, hundreds of pit bulls have been adopted. So in this interview, we talk about her lifelong love affair with doggies and what she's really learned from these amazing creatures and also how she overcame her own fears all through the vessel that is her art. Sophie, thank you so much for uh, coming on our podcast today, Let's Get For Real. I have been a fan of yours for a a long time for your wonderful artistic prowess, your photographic prowess, photographing those beautiful pit bulls. Thank you so much. And thank you for inviting me. I'm super excited about our conversation. So, you know, I wanted to start with the fact that, like many a creative, you didn't start out that way. You had studied... I believe you'd studied law. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was always a creative, but I did end up studying law under, you know, father pressure to get a real job. <laughs> and I was a good student. So I ended up studying law. And then I specialized in art law, which allowed me to kind of stay in touch with the art world. And then uh, I created and directed a, a photography magazine back in France for a few years while I was studying opera singing. Oh, my God. Yeah, and then I worked for a UN-affiliated organization for a few years in uh, Switzerland. And then I moved to New York and I became a, you know, dog, shelter dog photographer, animal advocate, and I'm reconnecting with my artist uh, also. So So how long have you actually been in New York now? It's actually going to be 10 years uh, this August. And what, what brought you to New York in the first place? Ah, the one thing I promised myself I would never do, I followed a man. Suzanne, I followed a man. <laughs> uh, it was like my one rule in life. I will never change my life for a man. And then 
<laughs> I met uh, my fiance in Switzerland, and then we decided to both move to a country where we shared a language because he's Swedish, so he speaks Swedish, and I spoke French. And so, you know, New York, for some reason, kind of happened, and, and it worked out. So, yeah, 10 years. Oh, wow. Wow. Um, so, you know, in, in going into the Flower Power series, I want to start and, and go back and just sort of fill everybody in on, you know, the background and in getting to your series, the Wet Dog series that sort of garnered a lot of uh, publicity and and got you a fair amount of awareness in the New York sector. Right. Uh, so it's interesting because people know me for Pitbull Flower Power, which is the, the series of shelter pitbulls with flower crowns. And that's what I'm mostly known for. But um, Wet Dog was actually my first project to go viral and to really kickstart my career. And um, it's, it's kind of interesting because I basically did not really exist online before that. So when Wet Dog went viral, I was completely underprepared. I didn't even have a, a website in my name or a Facebook page or let alone an Instagram. Uh, and so I kind of played catch up as Wet Dog was going viral and, and getting me a lot of attention. And so that actually prepared the terrain for Flower Power because by the time, a few months later, Flower Power came out, I had my website, you know, I had figured out all that stuff a little bit more. So it's kind of a, an interesting journey. I was really thrown into, you know, the fire and I had to learn everything on the go. Yeah, I had um, I watched a video. I'd seen a few videos of you in the past. I think I had reached out initially to you because I own Cat Art Show as well. Right. Um, and, and, and you just did that wonderful photo of that kitty that I posted. What I had seen was that you, you know, you had been shooting a lot of imagery for shelters in New York. And can you talk a little bit about... You know, you yourself had this preconceived notion about about pitbulls that you were afraid of them, and I would imagine that's a huge hurdle just for yourself to get over in terms of your own emotional, you know, the fear right. of those animals. Yeah. So, I mean, shortly after I came, I arrived to New York. Um, I basically only had my camera left and my fiance, but I have left my career and my friends, my family. So photography really became um, my main focus and I started photographing dogs because it was easier than people I guess you know because I didn't really have to converse and I heard about rescue dogs and it kind of blew my world because uh, in France of course and in Europe I was aware of shelters and I was aware of animal abandonment but the numbers are way smaller than they are in the U.S. So when I heard the numbers in the U.S., I was like, wow, why is this? And I, I wanted to learn more about it. I wanted to be a part of the solution. And um, I figured, okay, I, I can't donate money. I'm broke. <laughs> I can't really help because my English is not good enough to write or, you know, to help shelters like that. Uh, so why don't I just offer, you know, photography as a, a way to volunteer and donate and, and be a part of fixing this. And so that's kind of how it started. And then very quickly, I realized how many pit bulls were in shelters. It was an overwhelming number. And coming from France, you know, we also have the same prejudice against pit bulls. I mean, I think around the world, every country has a similar idea of the pit bull. And that's thanks to you know, what the media has been doing for decades now. So 
I had this idea that they were, you know, unpredictable and vicious and like all the things you hear all the time about them. And I was also attacked by a really big dog when I was about 12, 13, I think. So um, he mauled me and it was a pretty like violent attack or like really scary. So each time I was around a big dog that was jumping or like I didn't really know well, I would really tense up. And so that created that perfect storm of me <laughs> going into shelters like, oh, I'm going to take photos of your dogs. But each time a pit bull would come on the set, I would really get very nervous, which doesn't help the dog because then the dog is like, oh, why are you nervous? What's going on? Tell me, is something going to happen? So you create this weird vibe for everybody, you know, the dog and yourself. Yeah. And I mean, to, to that point is that, you know, the dogs can smell fear. Right. So there's, it seems like there's a huge sort of it's not really a learning curve, but there's a certain way that you have to psych yourself out even before you, Sophie, put yourself into that situation so you're not projecting. Exactly. So I would go into this shoot like, oh, everything's going to be okay, you know, like smile and like, oh, you want a little cookie? But inside I was like, oh my gosh, this is very stressful. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's actually a very interesting point when it comes to pit bulls. I once heard someone say, you know, if you want people to not be afraid of pit bulls anymore you should make a pit bull look like a labradoodle or a golden retriever because when they walk down the street you know people tense up just by the look of the pit bull but when they see a labradoodle it's bouncy and it's fluffy and you're like oh my god it's so cute when at the end of the day you're talking about a dog which is basically the same the same being it's 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 an animal that has personality and you know emotions and animal instincts <laughs> and instincts and so it's interesting like the, the idea of like what if the pit bull looked different and I, I guess that's all these things fueled my flower power project it was a personal project that was driven by my desire to overcome my own fear to understand these dogs and to make up my own opinion not let the media the mainstream media dictate how I should view these dogs but rather you know, explore and and confront myself to hundreds of specimens of pit bulls and really figure this out. So that was basically kind of the, the main impulse for this project. And then, of course, I was curious, like, could art be a tool that I can use to rebrand these dogs? Like, can I get a dog adopted, maybe, with one of my photos? And that was, like, an exciting prospect. So all these things made me decide to put flower crowns on these pit bulls and I have to tell you, the first time I had to do the shoot and I had no idea if it was going to work. And I brought my flower crowns to the shoot and the staff was like, all right, just do your thing. Here's a dog. You know, what do you want to do? And I realized I would have to put the crown on the dog, a pit bull I've never met from a shelter. I really thought to myself, like, this is the dumbest idea you've ever had <laughs> because now you have to wrap your hands around, you know, this unknown dogs of an unknown past. And you're going to be a few inches away from their face. And so that was a really big hurdle for me to uh, overcome as well. At the end of the day, you said it could be a labradoodle walking down the street that could be just as, you know, vicious as uh, what a pit bull might be considered to be, right? And it is an animal. And people just have a preconceived notion between a pit bull looking mean and vicious because of what they've learned and a labradoodle that's super cute. Uh, yeah. And I think, you know, with art, that's one of the most amazing things that really art is a way for a person to kind of shake the things 
around them, the perception of the world. We all have, as artists, we have visions and we basically look at the world and, and we see things another way. And so for me, using art to change the perception on something was always uh, super intriguing. But I just never thought that Flower Power would take off and become the, this huge project it's become. But I was just very intrigued with the idea of can, can art change the way we see something? And if we see pit bulls in a different light, can it open our hearts to the possibility that, wow, these dogs actually have soul. These dogs actually have their own personality. And they should be judged on, on that, their unique personality, not as a group. And so I think you're absolutely right. This, this is about pit bulls, but it's also about everything else in the human world. Uh, we, we are so quick to put things in boxes and label people and, and groups of people and things. And then once they're in that box, it's like, well, this is where you belong. And it, it makes us feel safer in a way. But by reducing everything to a tiny box with a tiny label, we're missing out on, on, on such a rich, deep, beautiful world out there. And so, I, yeah, my work is about dogs, but for me, it's also so much more about humans and what we do to dogs and how we treat the world around us. And I, I also saw that you said that when the series came out, the response was overwhelming, but both positive and negative, right. that you got hate mail. Can, can you talk a little bit about what some of the reactions were? Yeah. Oh, you know, overall, I think it was a very positive reaction. But of course, because I was completely unprepared for the storm that was coming my way, it was a very intense experience. At that time, when the first photos came out, I was still trying to figure out how I felt about pit bulls. You know, I had I had done a couple of shoots and I had met a handful of pit bulls and I was still trying to figure out uh, the creative project as well as how do I feel about these dogs? And immediately, because it went viral, viral so quickly, immediately the media came to me saying, so are these dogs dangerous? What's your answer? You know, and shoving microphones in my face. And, and like that really put my work and myself uh, you know, in, in the spotlight and I was not really fully ready to, to speak about it because I think that's one of the problems that we have nowadays. It's that people really don't allow people to have, um, to discuss thoughts that haven't been fully formulated yet. So you see like on social media, for example, if you try to explain your position on something and people are like, oh, but you're saying this, you're using the wrong word, you're not, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> and people jump to conclusion and it gets very, very tense very quickly. And I feel like uh, that's a mistake. Like we should allow space for, uh, you know, the expression of thoughts that are not yet fully formed and fully ready to be formulated. So I experienced that with the Pitbull Project because all of a sudden I was propelled into the role of you know, a pitbull advocate, basically. Uh, so a lot of people treated me like their new champion, like I was going to save pitbulls. And finally, I gave a voice to all the pitbull owners out there uh, who are tired of being judged and, and vilified and, you know, are tired of uh, the reaction of people in the street and are tired of not being able to find apartments because they own a pitbull or having to pay higher insurance um, because they own a pit bull or not being able to travel to some places because pit bulls are banned. So I think all that population of pit bull owners saw me as a champion and like, oh my God, finally, we're going to see our dogs the way we see them, soft and beautiful and soulful and, and with so much to offer. And then, of course, there was a group of haters, but I found out you know, throughout the years that it's basically one group 
that is extremely active on social media and they will go to any any length possible to to take down people like me so uh, I got hate mail from them you know they would track anyone that would work with me and 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 attack them as well uh, they would post on my Facebook page like a lot of fake facts and and then you have people that are don't like pitbulls and that's okay you know my work was never about saying everybody needs to love pitbulls and everybody needs to adopt one my work is more about hey what if you know can we be open-minded can we can we allow ourselves to see the world through our own lenses and not the lenses that the media has you know forced us to wear all these years yeah, I was going to say, now that you have been doing this for a number of years. Six years. <laughs> six years. Have you fully overcome your fear now, Pipples? I would say I haven't fully overcome my fear of dogs, of certain dogs. But now I understand what it is. And basically, you know, if a dog gives me a vibe on a shoot, on a set, uh, I just, I respect their boundaries. So if a dog gives me, you know, like this tense vibe or then uncomfortable with me, first off, I don't crown all the dogs that I meet. Uh, so because the dogs actually wear the flower crowns during the photo shoots, which a lot of people uh, don't realize. They think it's photoshopped. But no, I make flower crowns and then I put them on, on the dog's head and I photograph them wearing them. So, you know, I I'm, I probably photographed, you know, a thousand, a thousand five hundred pit bulls over the years and I crown about 450 of them. Mm -hmm. So... I never push it. So that's the first thing. Like I, I really pay attention to what the dog is telling me. And I think that's one thing that humans in general have lost sight of because especially in, in like modern, super urbanized cultures, like here in the US and in New York, uh, people take dogs for granted and they uh, anticipate that a dog is going to behave a certain way and be perfect and behaved and not poop in the house and not have uh, behavioral issues. And, and so we, we forgot to listen to what the dog wants to say. We forgot to read the body language and really understand the cues dogs are giving us. I think it's insane, actually, that we've known dogs for thousands of years and we've lived with them and worked with them in such a close partnership for so long. And yet, how much do we really know of them? How much do we really know about the, you know, the potential of dogs, what they think, what they feel, what they see? and how they process information and what they're able to communicate. We don't know that much. We think we know some, but maybe, maybe we're wrong. So when I see a dog on my set, I, I just feel their vibe. And if they don't like me, I'm not going to push it. So that fear now informs me. It's not so much fear as it is, ooh, what's going on here? Can I be alert? Can I be aware? Are you making the flower crowns yourself? Yeah, so I, I, I made all my flower crowns. And basically, I bring a bunch to the shelter when I know I'm going to photograph pit bulls. And I never know which dog I'm going to work with, right? I don't choose my models. Oh, so that's okay. an aspect of the series that I actually really love because it's super challenging. And it's, it's made every portrait really magical because, uh, you know, the, the shelter staff will bring me a dog. And I'm like, oh, hi, dog. And I have no idea if the dog is going to be black or white or brindle or, you know, big, small, <laughs> older, younger. So it's always kind of a surprise. And then I see the dog and then I look at the pile of crowns I brought and I pair them up. So I feel the, the energy wow. of the dog, I guess. Yeah. And the colors and the shape of their face and everything. And I find a crown that I feel is going to match that. 
And, uh, you know, when I look back on all the portraits I've made all these years, of course, when you're in it, you're just doing the work. You don't realize what you're building. But now that I have time to slow down and look at it, uh, ever since I, I made the book, especially, um, I, I look at all that collection of portraits and I'm like, how magical is it that 450 times that I did this with a dog, something so beautiful and magical and dignified came out of it. Like the crown and the dog, you know, came in harmony and I was able to have that dance with my model where we both trust each other and the process and we're able to create this magical moment together. And I think the dogs build it too. Like sometimes it's amazing. You know, they, they've been trying so hard to keep the, the crown on the head and to pose and to sit and be a good boy or a good girl. And then when finally I, I, I click the camera and I know the photo is there and I, I managed to capture it, we both like, ah, we breathe, you know, and, and the dog is like, did I do it? Did I do it? And it's like just the most exciting part of the process. You know what it sounds like too is this 360 degree marriage of instinct and inherent knowing whether it's the flowers that you select that it is the vibe that you get from the dog and vice versa and and that sort of perfect storm of instinct coming together it's such a beautiful way to put it uh, i love what you just said and i actually just the story popped in my mind to kind of reaffirm what you just said I never used uh, sunflowers in my crown. I just felt like they were too big and like too known. I don't know. There was something about sunflowers that never attracted me. Until one day I decided to make a crown based on sunflowers and it was really big and very ambitious. And I was like, no dog is ever going to be able to wear this. It's way too big. And so I kept it for a few months. And then uh, a, a rescuer friend of mine had this pit bull that uh, was struggling to find a family and she was perfect. It's just that she was a darker shade of you know, fur. And uh, for some reason, adopters were not really interested in meeting her. So she asked me like, could you photograph her? I said, of course. And I have this crown that I think would be so great for her. And uh, it was like everything came together. I put the crown on the dog and she wore it and she was beautiful and smiling and everything was so beautiful. And I kid you not, a person had been following her and like wondering, oh, I like this dog. And then they saw that photo and they were like, all right, she's mine. Because their grandfather was growing sunflower on their properties. And as a child, she remembered just how the sunflower was kind of their family flower. And so that sunflower on that crown on that portrait, on that dog, is what sealed the deal for her. And then she adopted her, and and they've been like in love and happy ever wow. since. But it really goes to what you're saying. Like there's a part of magic and instinct, and and something that is hard to put words on that happens. It's kismet, you know. It's that moment <laughs> when you just like like you said that moment when you take the photo and you hear that click of the shutter, and you know that's it. I right. got it. Yeah. You know, I want to talk about something that you said a little while ago. So like uh, in terms of, of of shelter animals in the US versus say Europe, you know, here in California, for example, um, the majority of the dogs that are in shelters are two types, chihuahuas and pit bulls. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's the same in New York, but I, I bigger picture, I want to talk about what you had said that in, in Europe, you didn't see that influx of you know, the overpopulation of shelters that we see here, um, the volume of animals that we see here. Why, why do you think that is so? I mean, that's a question I've been trying to answer, you know, for myself all these years. Um, I think, you know, one of the 
a big factor in the U.S. is uh, the lack of social security. You know, honestly, because here you isn't there a saying that said like you're always like one paycheck away from poverty. And I think in in countries in Europe, we have a a, like a better system, a better foundation when it comes to that stuff. So if you fall sick or if you if you lose your job, you get aid from the government. You know, you get there is a support system that doesn't just let you, you know, fall on the side of the road while the train keeps you know going forward. So I think that participates for sure because people um, just struggle. And a lot. And that's also a misconception that people have, that they think all the dogs that are in shelters are there because they're broken or, or something is wrong with them or whatever. The majority of dogs that are in sh- or pets that are in shelters are there because of human problems like divorce, illness, death, losing your job, apartment. losing your apartment. Yeah, and when it comes to pit bull in particular, like if you lose your your home and you have a pit bull or two, good luck finding a, another home that's going to let you in. And that's one of the big problems because we created such a system around pit bulls that we fear them. It's it's an issue that has been politicized in many places in in the US. And it just creates this impossible equation where you know, it serves local politics sometimes to say we're going to ban pit bulls uh, because that way it makes people feel safer. So it's a fake sense of security that you create in your communities, thinking if we ban pit bulls, we're going to solve the problems of dangerous dogs. And it's idiotic because it doesn't work. It's been proven not to work. And it's it's not addressing the real issue, which is dangerous people having unmanaged dogs, right? That's how you create a dangerous dog. And so because we created this vicious circle, it's harder and harder for people, especially in, in communities that struggle more with these social security issues, it's harder for them to find homes. And then they don't have access to vetting. Like if they don't have a car, they can't drive, you know, the, the miles and miles that they need to go to a vet. They can't afford vetting. Vetting is so expensive. Um, again, something else in this country. You know, if I go get my dog vaccinated, it costs me $300 between the exam and the vet, the vaccine and all that stuff. So who can afford this? Is it cheaper in France? Uh, yeah. I mean, things are cheaper generally in France, uh, especially in the medical field. And so there's that. There's the fast culture too, you know, that I think uh, people consume, have like a habit of consuming and, and throwing away maybe. I don't know. Maybe that comes into play. I think all this thing, but mostly I think it's just, you know, people when they fall on hard times, they rarely have anywhere to turn to. Yeah, And so, for example, like recently I was approached by someone uh, on social media who told me they had been looking for their dogs for a couple of years and they bumped into a photo that I had taken of that dog at the shelter. And so they asked me, like, do you think the shelter still has that my dog? And I said, well, no, but tell me the story. What happened? And basically she fell on hard times and she had three or four pit bulls. And so she gave she put them in the care of relatives. And then, you know, I guess they didn't get along well, the, the humans, that is. And her relative decided to drop that dog in the street and oh get rid God. of it while she was trying to put her life back together. And that shelter, uh, that dog ended up at the shelter and, and thankfully was pulled and adopted and, and is super happy with his new family now. But this woman for two years has been browsing the lost and found section of the shelter and like hoping that her dog would show up. And so I think those are the kind of stories that I wish I could bring to light more because I think it it will help us understand better what is going on here and how do we fix it? And I think also breeding, you know, people need to stop breeding and especially pit bulls. 
it's a dog that is very, very popular. And too many people are just breeding dogs randomly in their backyard to make money. And again, it goes back to, you know, trying to survive. Uh, and it's easy to breed a dog, <laughs> easy enough, I suppose. I don't know. Uh, so there are a lot of things that we need to tackle if we want to be able to reduce shelter population. We cannot adopt our way out of the numbers in the U.S. Yeah, here in Los Angeles, I mean, even before the pandemic, when I would go to shelters, my dog that I have now, I've had him for almost two years. And so I started going to shelter. I had another dog that had passed away. And then after a period of time, I decided I was ready. I started to go to the shelters and a lot of them were owner surrenders. And I asked the people that worked at one particular shelter and they said, we get a lot of owner surrenders because people have to move out of their apartments and then they can't find an apartment right. that will take their dogs. Yeah. Whether it's a pit bull or a chihuahua, it doesn't really matter. No. They don't take dogs. And I think that that is one of the biggest problems that we face in America is that there is, you know, prejudice against having animals Absolutely. when animals can do so much for us. I mean, yes, there has been, yes, there has been an influx of adoptions right now. Um, you know, a lot of the shelters have been cleared out of dogs and cats because people have had to shelter in place. But it goes way beyond that as far as I'm concerned, because yeah. these animals, um, you know, they they are unconditional in their love and their support. And they are there for us through thick and thin. And I think that not considering that as you could have a perfect tenant who is going to come in and has these wonderful animals, or you could get an asshole tenant with no animals, you know, yeah. it, it shouldn't be the condition of accepting somebody into an apartment. You know, I wanted to talk about something that I had seen on your website, talking about animals as pets, domesticated animals, you had called pets in urban areas, social anchors, mm -hmm. and replacing sort of spouse, children, friends, revealing a human community that grows increasingly disconnected. I want to sort of understand what you mean by that in terms of the role of animals in our society. The bond between human and dogs, I think, started as companionship and partnership. And now, and especially in, in highly urbanized environment like New York, it's really turned into a very codependent relationship. We think dogs can't survive without us. And when I was photographing stray dogs and feral dogs in Puerto Rico, for example, and working with the rescue there, it really taught me about the whole spectrum of dogs, from mm -hmm. wild dogs that never want anything to do with humans, all the way to these little chihuahuas that are dressed up and have to perform a certain way, or even guide dogs or dogs, military dogs, or dogs that sniff for bombs at the airport, all these dogs who have jobs. Like you have an entire spectrum there. And somehow humans are convinced that dogs can't survive without us. Well, I mean, I mean, I've been, I was telling Roxy earlier that, you know, I spend a lot of time in Thailand and there are feral dogs and cats all over right. that are living on the streets in, very, in a very capable fashion. I think there's a big distinction between a domesticated animal and an animal that is, is feral. So like to your point about the animals in the streets in Puerto Rico, or in some place like Turkey or in Thailand, how they're living completely independently. I think, but they're not that independent. I'm sorry, I'm just going to interrupt you because they live sure. in the cities, and that's how basically the dog was created. We think they approached villages, and they were like, "Ooh, I think it's easier to scavenge, you know, humans' yeah. <laughs> garbage basically and get scrapes than it is to hunt and run after some animal that is trying to run away from me." So these dogs are actually 
live in the, in the cities and they learn to coexist with humans and they get food, they, they get access to resources because they coexist with us. Mm-hmm. So for, for me, there's a difference between a wild dog that lives in the wild and might be hunting for food and a dog who is wild but relies on uh, garbage and like these dogs in, in, is in Moscow? It's in Russia. I think it's Moscow that know how to navigate the subway system. They know how to hop on the train, go where the tourists are, get fed, hop back on the train. Like I so wants a video about that. Isn't that just sort of adapting to your environment? Yeah, but it's a human environment again. And the fact that we now know, I mean, scientists uh, have uh, explored that dogs have um, eyebrows have evolved to give us the emotional response we want. Like they literally, they can, that puppy eye that we know, mm-hmm. they didn't come with that. They evolved to give us that little puppy eye so that we give them all the cookies. <laughs> so I feel like it's, could they live without the human world at this stage? I, I'm not sure. Like it's a very codependent relationship when you look at it because it's not like dogs. Well, I mean, some dogs know how to hunt. Obviously, we have hunting dogs. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, all these questions, I'm not saying I have an answer. I'm just like no, so no, excited no. to explore these, these thoughts. I think it's super interesting. You know, I want to go back to the artistic side of it and through the eye of the lens, showcasing to you different walks of life as an artist just must be so gratifying to be able to present right and when i started this journey into you know photographing dogs i i thought, told myself like I'm, I'm not gonna have enough of a lifetime to cover everything i want to cover i mean it's the species first that uh, that has the most diverse um you know range of looks and sizes there's no other species on the planet that goes from the tiny little chihuahua all the way to the huge you know uh um what's the name i'm blanking on the name saint bernard well, St. Bernard or Great Danes, you know, <laughs> like there's no other species. And that's partly and greatly because humans decided to play God and, and manipulate genetics and, and, and have fun and, and have a run at it. But we've really created such a huge spectrum and, and there's no other species like that. So, I, so that alone is super fascinating. And then throw into that, like I said before, the spectrum between wild dogs and companions and the jobs that we give them and the emotional connection people have with their dogs and the fact that we put dogs in wheelchairs, you know, <laughs> when they can't walk anymore, like senior dogs and the overbreeding. Like there's so many themes, so many stories to capture. And I've been busy for the past six years with Flower Power and the, the, the project was so important to so many people and it was so magical and special. And, uh, you know, I, that's basically all I did almost for six years because it took everything in me. But I'm also super excited about uh, other stories and, and projects I want to cover. It can be frustrating because a lot of my images are basically just dormant on my computer and I'm like, nobody's ever going to see this. Nobody's going to be interested in this. And why am I even taking these photos? And then sometimes I look through my files and I see how my lens has captured so much of the loneliness, uh, whether the dog loneliness or, or the human loneliness. And it's so interesting to me to, th- to think that all these years while I was capturing all these stories, somehow the way I look at the world and my you know, inner life and emotions has informed the way my lens has captured what I was seeing. 
um, were these dogs and people really lonely? Or was I attracted to taking that particular photo because it, it looked lonely? Did it resonate with me more? I, I don't know. But, I, you know, when you look at my series of uh, the dog beach in Puerto Rico on my website, you can see it. Or the um, anatomy of discomfort, uh, which I photographed at the shelter where I got my own dog and which was the worst place I've ever seen in my life. Um, you know, all you see is just a lot of loneliness. Yeah, I mean, I think most people, when they think about dogs and shelter and loneliness, they automatically go to that, you know, ad that played for so long with Sarah McLaughlin singing in the background. And <laughs> yeah, which is not what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, with the advent of social media, there's so much of an opportunity yes. to to get more exposure for for animals, cats and dogs, to get adopted. But then you also see the breadth of the overpopulation and the burgeoning of each shelter, you know, it, it really puts it in perspective. I, I wanted to ask you, what was the first photograph that you ever took of a dog going back? Um, so that must have been my, the dogs I grew up with. Um, so we had uh, two German short-haired pointed uh, sisters. And so I, I remember taking portraits of them. Uh, and I have the photos and it's funny because <laughs> there was two portraits I took of them and when I look at those portraits, and I must have been in my early teens or uh, probably, um, they look very similar to the work I do now, actually. So for, for the first time I photographed the, these dogs, you know, what I was very interested in was to capture the essence and the soul and an emotional connection. I love that the camera allowed me to create some kind of intimacy with my subject. And I was a very lonely child, too, so I think capturing those portraits, it, yeah, it just created some kind of intimacy and it made me feel connected and, and safe. Um, so it's something that I, I still feel today when I take these portraits, like it, it's a beautiful place to be with. And, and I'm, I love that I'm able to give all these shelter dogs their dignity back. That was always a big, uh, you know, martyr for me starting almost 10 years ago now, starting photographing shelter dogs, I wanted to change the way we saw these dogs. I didn't want the sad commercial we would see on TV of shivering, sick, you know, dirty dogs uh, cowering in, in, in their cage. I wanted to see them as a glorified, dignified, soulful being so that people would see those photos and think, wow, that's my best friend, you know? And so I did a lot of work like that. And nowadays, I mean, there's a lot of photographers uh, out there who are doing similar work to what I do that go to shelter and volunteer. Um, we've really transformed the way we see shelter dogs. And I mean, so many people are, are helping and yeah, it's really a big difference now. Um, but of course, you know, when you go to a really sad rural shelter or animal control facility, it's overwhelming and it's, it's still very sad and there's still dogs shivering and cowering in their cages. So we can't forget that reality. Have you ever thought about doing a series of, you know, sort of a flashback to some of the dogs that you photograph with their owners? So I've been asked uh, that because I'm, I might be working on a new Flower Power book and, and I talked to a couple of publishers and they were interested in that. Uh, I've never done it, actually, just because I've been so busy all these years chasing my tail helping as many dogs as I could really. And, and it, it was an all consuming, you know, way to do this. Um, now with the pandemic, I've had to slow down because I, you know, I can't go to the shelter. They're closed to, uh, you know, volunteers. Um, so it's given me time to reflect on all that. 
I think it would be very interesting. What I did though is when I did the Flower Power Coffee Table book, I got in touch with um, a lot of the adopters and I interviewed them on the phone and I, I told the story in the book. Um, so I did not photograph them, but I, I do get in touch with as many adopters as I possibly can. So I have stories upon stories upon stories, you know, of these dogs. Um, and there's a dog that I've been following for six years now. She was part of my very early flower power shoots. And she's been returned four times in the six years I followed her. And she was returned again right before the pandemic hit. Um, and now she's old and, and sick and in very poor shape. And her previous families have really, you know, dropped the ball on her. And so I'm helping her find a new home. And so there are dogs like this that I follow over the years um, and I feel very attached to, you know. We have a, a thing at CatCon called CatCon Love Stories where we reach out to people that have adopted and and mm. at the show and and ask them to send photos and it's always interesting to see the cats now in their environment right so i post those updates on my social media and also i have a calendar that i do every year and in the calendar i i put the photos of the flower dogs and then in the back of the calendar you can see them in in the in the homes Oh, that's great. Yeah, people love to see actually, you know, what happened to that dog. And even though I don't take these photos, I definitely get photos from the adopters and I follow up. Some dogs I follow, I, you know, I talk with the adopters a couple of times a year sometimes. I would love one day to be able to go and photograph all these dogs, especially since, you know, dogs age so quickly. And like the fact that I've been doing this for so many years now, I can really see, you know, some of my models now are all gray face and and uh you know the joints are getting stiff and it's, yeah. it's weird to think i've been doing this for so long you know it's a weird uh because i don't have children i guess it's also how i am able to put a chronology on my life you know if yeah. that makes sense no it totally makes sense i mean i you know and i i know you had um a show a couple of years ago in Brooklyn and mm -hmm. I was just thinking how wonderful it would be, you know, when things open up again to see, you know, I'd love to see a retrospective of your work. It's an interesting take on American life, right. you know, sort of a chronicle of the way we live. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, dogs kind of hold up a mirror to our humanity. And that's really, you know, what my work is about. Because even if you just look at a portrait of a dog, even if it's just one portrait of the wet dog, for example, at first people think it's super funny and it's cute and it's weird. And so that's why they love the photos. But when you sit with that portrait long enough, you see, you know, in the dog's eyes, you see the whole emotional world that's going on behind there. They're afraid or they're pissed off or whatever is going on in their inner world. And the fact that they're so vulnerable and they are 100% at the mercy of the groomer, of, of the human, basically, who is in charge, who decides when you get a bath and how and what haircut you get, you know, all this stuff. Like, I feel like even just looking at a photo of a wet dog, you get a sense for humans and, and I don't know, like who we are and what we do and the values we stand for and like you yeah you, you learn so much about humanity just by looking at the face of a dog that's why you need a show <laughs> i would love to don't get me wrong i would love to you need giant portraits so people can stand in front of it and spend some time with it you know like I when you go to the museum to. and then you have the benches and you can sit there and you can analyze the painting and spend time with it and really you know yeah. let it breathe i think also because you're you're french this is just my perspective, but 
I think that you have a very different point of view in just in general in letting things breathe. The reason I say that is this. So when I used to work at E, my job was to promote shows in foreign territories. So one of my territories was France, Hmm. France, Germany, UK, Italy. And what happened was we had to repurpose the promos because it didn't one size did not fit all for the foreign territories due to culture. So I had French producers that worked for me. And so what happened is the French office would look at our promos and they would say, it's cut too fast. It's cut, 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 cut. What we want to see is not somebody walking through the door and then you guys just cut to them walking through the other door on the way out. (laughs) We want to see them walk through the room. And so that really gave me insight. And when I look at French films. Films, yeah, exactly. When I moved here, I was like, wow, why are things so fast? Films like (laughs) Louis Malle and Truffaut and things like that, they breathe, right? They breathe. You allow the viewer to make an assertion. And it's not, it's not quick cut in your face, in your face, in your face and moving at the speed of light. It's about allowing things to breathe. And it's not pre-mashed like, okay, this is what you're supposed to feel now. Here, feeling, you know, it's right. exactly, there's more room for your own interpretation and thoughts and feelings. It's a very American thing. And I only realized that in, in working with all these foreign territories. And, you know, it's very different working like with Russia that was a whole different thing, but you're <laughs> sure. in, in, even, even Germany, uh, but, but, but really the, the French, the French and the Italian offices, they just wanted things to just breathe. And so we had to recut because they weren't necessarily resonating in those territories. Mm. So it, it was just really in, interesting to me. And so like, just in talking to you and hearing about how, you know, you let, you see certain things in photographs. I think that's also something that's missing in art today and people's appreciation in art is that we're moving at the speed of light and we're hit with this barrage of images nonstop all day on the internet. People aren't taking the time to sit back and reflect and just sort of take it in. And you, by doing these photos with these dogs and, you know, spending a moment with this beautiful, um, composition and looking at everything from how you put the flowers, the flowers that you chose to the look on their face, to their whiskers, to maybe the gray around their muzzle is, is to me just something that's void in our American society. Right. And I mean, I think it's super interesting that you bring this up and it's actually helping me heal something too, because you know, after the success of Flower Power and it went viral several times over the years and it was like, go, go, go. And we need more, more, more. And I really felt pressured in many ways in my creative process and in the way I put, you know, the material out. Once you have such a big, uh, like a a big social media following, um, like I I developed, you know, on Facebook and Instagram, it's like it's a hungry beast that wants fresh, new, exciting content every day. And I definitely felt that pressure of like, wow, I need to post twice a day. And for years I did that. And I really burned out from the whole thing. And before the pandemic hit, I was really questioning, should I unplug the whole thing? Should I just get off social media and go quiet for a while and just work on my next project, my next journey, or how I want to say things and the space that I need to say those things? And then the pandemic hit, so it kind of forced me to slow down anyway. But it's, it is a very, very scary uh, rhythm here. And I don't know if it's just an American thing. I think it's also a social media thing, to be honest. But there's definitely that pressure to like always put new content out. And 
it doesn't give you enough space, mental space, physical space to breathe and sit with your feelings and yeah, just create. I, I feel like I can't create anymore. I'm suffocating. And it's been like this for a while. So how do you juggle, you know, feeding the social media beast and maintaining interest for your work with, as a creative, the need to retreat and surrender to your process and be quiet and still. Flower Power was born out of me being afraid and vulnerable. And I always tell, you know, fellow artists, like, if you feel fear about something, that's where your work needs to go. And because yeah. there is bravery in being vulnerable. And, you know, actually, what I, if there's one silver lining to the pandemic is that for the first time, I feel like the world around me gets a better understanding of what my life has been. <laughs> and when I mean my life, I mean people, the life of people like me, introvert, creative, people who need time and quiet and stillness to, to be comfortable and to be their full potential. And so for the first time, like my husband or my friends, you know, when they were describing their feelings about the world of, and the unknown and the fear and the slow pace and like the anxiety and all that, I was like, that's how I live all yep. the time. Yep. Welcome to my life, dudes. <laughs> for me, I mean, the start of the pandemic, I felt the best I felt in a long time. And of course it's horrible and I, I don't want to, you know, I, I hope you understand what I'm coming from. But for me, I was like, I finally did not feel alone anymore. And I, it made me realize, well, how lonely I had felt all these years. And so of course, shelter dogs, if, if I want to bring back to these two dogs, because I'm sure your listeners want to hear more about dogs, but um, dogs provided that safe heaven for me in many ways, uh, in a way that humans haven't. And, and it goes back to this idea of, that substitute for human love, you know? How weird is it that humans turn to an animal? I mean, although I don't see dogs as animals at all, I think they're in their own little category between humans and animals. But how weird is it that we've vested so much into these animals? My, my husband was a cat person and he never wanted a dog, but of course, after years of me doing the work I do, we, we adopted a, 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 little, a little mutt and and sometimes my husband looks at me and said, I had no idea you could love and be loved this way. And he's not talking about me, obviously. He's talking about the dog. Uh, and it's, it's so special. It's so unique. And it's so, I'm so grateful that I have the privilege to put my lens in there and capture some of it and trying to make sense of it. And I would love nothing more than to exhibit my work and talk about my work on more platforms because I'm so passionate about this work. Um, it hasn't really happened yet. And because I'm alone and I don't have assistant, I don't have any help. It gets very daunting very quickly when you take on projects. So I'm hoping that maybe in a few years from now, maybe 10, maybe 20 years, I don't know, that maybe I'll be in a place where I can finally share all the work and maybe some of the wisdom I've acquired over the years when it comes to dogs, humans, and all everything that's happening between these two species and, and what it means and what we can learn from it. Thank you so much, Sophie. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Same here. Great conversation. I, I loved the intimacy of this conversation. It was very, very cool. Thank you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, dogs and cats, children of all ages, was this episode of Let's Get For Real. And that was photographer Sophie Gamond. You can find Let's Get For Real online and on social media at Let's Get For Real. 
We want to hear from you and see how you and your pets are doing. Please email us at hello at letsgetforreal.com. That's F-U-R-Real.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We would love you forever if you would do that. Our team includes Avishai Artsy, Roxana Dunlop, and me, Susan Michaels. Stay safe, take care, and give your pets an extra snuggle today.